0: Hello, folks. Thank you for joining us. This is episode three. This is the start of quite possibly the biggest topic that Talk ADHD is going to cover, I think. Um, so this is talking about all things to do with being a woman, to be do to with be being a girl, to having hormones and how they affect everything combining with our ADHD. And I know, and I've said this in the introduction, there's no way we can do this justice in one episode, but I hope this sparks the conversation. Uh, So everyone listening and watching, you'll hear a couple of different voices today, apart from myself and Andrew. So first of all, we're joined by Sarah. So Sarah is Andrew's wife and in her own right is phenomenally experienced in this field. She is a, um, what do we say, a senior nurse. Specialist in ADHD, mental health nurse specializing in ADHD, um, one. and has her own unique take on, on talking with clinicians and specialists and trying to find out what's what, as well as living with ADHD. And then we're joined by Elaine Travers, who's navigated, yeah. like a lot of people have from a journey in the corporate world to noticing struggles to wondering what's going on and navigating everything from the menopause and perimenopause and then only this year to getting that diagnosis of ADHD that so many ladies are getting so late in life and that adding another layer of oh that's why to the conversation so what I really hope from this discussion is that we're able to a show all of the ladies that hopefully are listening and watching out there and that see this that we're behind them to give them a sense that you particularly understand, Um and that for our part, Andrew, I think you probably agree with me, that we're on their side and we just want the best information possible out there. People can, like we've said before, have better conversations with the people they need to have conversations with, be they doctors or specialists or husbands or partners or work. So all that said, we're going to go back to slightly the episode one format here, and, Andrew, I'm going to come to you first. It would seem to make sense the um non-scientifically minded or medically minded amongst us and by that i mean me um to cover some of the the basics some of the the science behind what are we talking about why what's going on and then to use that as a point to open up a bit so if that works for you over to okay, you.
1: I'll do my best. I shall do my best, but uh, I'm not. I'm not an okay. expert. I don't have lived experience of this. So what I'd like to do is just give you the foundations of the the endocrinology. But don't be frightened by that. It's a big word, but don't be. Um, it's just the understanding of the changes in hormones in the body. Um, And how that relates to ADHD, and particularly dopamine. So I don't want to say a lot at this stage. I think it's more for the ladies to say. um, Because graphs on a screen will only tell us so much and actually living that and feeling those changes. um, It is what we're about, really and there's only so much the science can Mm -hmm. tell us and actually it's 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 only in recent years you know Matt that we've um we've picked up on this idea of changes in impact of medication through the through the menstrual cycle um and growing around that there's a lot more literature coming out now than there used to be um we I I think there was a little bit of sexism in, in clinical practice because because AD, adult ADHD was such an, a, a new field. There were so many different elements to, to for the scientists to be looking at that we we, we missed this. Um, but that that over recent years um, has improved, and some prescribers are varying treatment across the month. And I th- hopefully, we'll be able to talk about that later. Um, but. I, th- I think it's useful to explain why. Why, why would we do that? You're connected, you would yeah. think. However, the hormone system, the endocrine system, is a delicate balance that, that is maintained in every human body. And it's different in male and female bodies, but um, it, it's a very delicate balance. So it it relates to stress. It relates to because a lot of the... The neurotransmitters, when they're not in the brain, are, are treated as hormones outside of the brain. We've talked about that in relation to noradrenaline in the past. Um, so the, the first thing to say is this relationship between um, dopamine and estrogen. So estrogen is one of the hormones. Room um, is one of the hormones that changes through the menstrual cycle, um, and varying levels of estrogen does have an impact on secretion of dopamine. So the higher the level of oestrogen in the body, the more likely you are to produce dopamine. Okay. Oestrogen levels change across the cycle. Um, so you, you see this on the screen now. So we count day one as the beginning of menstruation. And the, the line that we're most interested in is the green one. tricky to, to pick out on this graphic. Um, but if you look in the middle there, on above day 14, we've got the red one has this big spike, um, and that's the luteinizing hormone, which stimulates ovulation. But the, the next highest peak is, is the green one, and that is the, the levels of estrogen across the month. So at close to ovulation is where estrogen levels are at their highest, and therefore, because estrogen levels are high, you're more likely to um, synthesize dopamine. um, So have that available. And ovulation occurs, that estrogen level drops. um, And we see a rise in progesterone. But the the issue here is that dropping level of estrogen. And as you move through the luteal phase, um, we we see just that estrogen level dropping and dropping and dropping. And I certainly hear in in clinical practice Lots of people talking about the premenstrual right. being different in terms of response to medication. So that that is now, pretty much as much science as I want to share with you at this stage. If if we need to come back to it, or um, there are things to be said, I'm happy to step in, but now, that I don't live in right. a female so, body, and I don't claim to be. There the is expert some stuff
0: I've heard on that, in that before about the relationship between oestrogen and dopamine i think what i didn't realize perhaps i should have given i've got a wife going through perimenopause um i didn't realize how long the period of low estrogen is i mean we're talking half the uh, the monthly cycle looking at that graph is that am i right on that so so so
1: like that, Matt. But actually, right. the experience it is in the week leading up to menstruation that's where it's worst. Um, I and I wondered whether, and there's I can't find any literature about this. Sarah may have, um, but I wondered whether it was that the the levels are dropping, and and that it is. Right. Necessarily the absolute level, but the fact that it is dropping away, I'm not. I'm not sure, but uh, Sarah's nodding, so p- potentially that's yeah. right. Because yes, yeah, so otherwise you'd say, well, you'd only have that peak of focus around ovulation, so we'd have no, these really close, right? focused okay. women ladies, for a couple of days a uh, that month. That makes uh,
0: perfect sense to you, and that's that's your experience at the moment as well. Yes, yeah. Sarah, go for it. Yeah.
2: Makes sense. Yep, it makes sense. But it, it also, it's not, comes in a woman's life. So puberty, Right. that's the first time you start. So we may get a girl early, which we're getting better at doing within services, than ADHD assessment services. <clears throat> Diagnose them. Start treatment. Nine years old. So puberty can start from the age eight. Yeah. Most... Periods start around 12 or 13, so the puberty will start at eight. So you have all these fluctuating hormones. But most people's periods, most people will have their first, their first menstruation right. when they're around 12, 13. So you have this, this time period of lots and lots of different. Yep. So that's something to bear in mind for parents who are watching this, who have young girls who have been diagnosed and treated. That sometimes medication can be a bit all over the place. Then you hopefully get into regular periods. So you're having yeah. a regular cycle, 28 days or so. If you've got no difficult, other difficulties, the co-morbid coexisting conditions, then you get older, you may want to go on the pill. You may want to go on a implant. It's going to have an impact on your hormones and on treatment because of the change in different levels. Some. All is estrogen some is combined estrogen and progesterone it can get complicated then you come off birth control you're in your 20s and you get pregnant after pregnancy hormones are all over the place and they can take up to six months to even months, like years yeah. to settle down and again impact so you've got a diagnosis of ADHD yeah, yeah you've had to stop treatment because it's this is a whole other episode, treatment and pregnancy, but most people will stop treatment. Then you have the six months of your hormones being all over the place, whilst you're possibly breastfeeding or not breastfeeding and trying to get back into treatment. Understand who you are as a new mum, in uh, this new family. Then you get into a cycle or you go back to birth control and then you get to the perimenopause point of your life and the menopause. And the menopause, is defined by it is officially menopause menopausal and you've had the menopause when you, when it is 12 months after your last period so you can be in that process a significant amount of time and i don't know what it was like for elaine um so you might have one period and then you might not have another one you might menstruate again eight months and then you might have one but that's still going to be another 12 months after that because the way the medical model works it's very fixed points so this can go on in a woman's life well it I is like a woman's forever. life yeah
3: yeah and it's, it's interesting you say that sarah because um i was on the depot injection from about my mid-20s till it all fell off and i left work in sort of like i was 49 ish yeah um i don't have any kids so i literally went on to the depot because my monthly cycle was so, you know, my husband was running around, like, removing sharp objects from, like, the cutlery drawer and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and because I hadn't had kids, I was like, oh, okay. And I had no clue where my cycle was because it's like, when was your last cycle? Well, haven't had one for a really long time. Um, so, you know, me presenting, you know, sort of 45-ish with this sort of, you know... Oh, it's depression, it's anxiety, try this, try that. It, it kind of continued because I didn't have a baseline to be able to give. And, and I, I laughed when you said, you know, perimenopause is, is the bit before, and then the, the 12 months after your last period is when you're menopausal. I have no clue. Because <laughs> I, 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 you know, it was on depot. I came uh-huh. off it, I had a coil fitted. I'm on HRT. I haven't had a period in a really, really long time. So for me, I'm super confused and i yeah. think going back to andrew's point about the dropping where i started to notice that you know 45 ish you know and as you know perimenopause isn't just a timeline that starts and finishes when you know the nice guidelines says it does you know yeah. it can be any time in a woman's life or there can be poi polio, and dd so-, so there's all of these things where menopause, stroke menopause surgical menopause comes into play so yeah it is complicated isn't it super really complicated. really complicated and it's um, it's
2: not it's not something that is very well researched or very well known ADHD and you know just as we were talking, we were talking about um girls not not being picked up soon women not mm-hmm. having you know a, a sooner diagnosis and lot of that is from the, you know, the research originally was done on naughty boys that don't sit still. Now that sort of um, takes big part of the world community out. So you can have boys who don't sit still but aren't naughty. But yeah. with women, the, the diagnostic guidelines were based around this original research and it misses lots. Yeah. And, you know, there are biological differences in hormones. There are biological differences between male and female social differences which all impact on that assessment um, and there are social differences that impact throughout your life. So as a female, the, the, the world will tell you that you should be organised, that you should be the nurturing mother that has everybody else organised, that you. you should know what's going on, you should have a great memory, you should be able to spin all these plates. Throwing an ADHD and it's even trickier. Then, Sometimes you'll go and go, Oh, well, it's depression. It's postnatal depression. Well actually, how many women have gone with postnatal depression? And it has been that drop hormones and the word discombobulation in my head. is probably
0: Yeah, no, do you know it's the I one my wife Zara.
2: Yeah. But that that if I want to do a graph, it would be like this with hormones after after birth. It's a really tricky time. Mm-hmm. Um and actually, are these evident postnatally? it it's there's there's so much that we still don't understand and know, but what is evident in clinic, but for Andrew as well for me is that women are coming to their prescribers and saying, "My medication is not as effective around the time of my period. The majority is just before some will be just tipping into it, it just depends and we look we are talk about the signs and symptoms of you about to menstruate so we'll talk about the spots and we'll talk about mm. um, the mood so you may be more you may be looking for ice cream chocolate you may have A sort of head in your lower back I, Andrew's laughing because I'm like go get the bargain Um <laughs> but actually there's other signs and symptoms and it can be the ADHD Mm. Presentation started and as a site. We're not very good at picking up on that, but nice. there is there is research happening. Um obviously to prepare for this, we've gone and I've read loads, tried to update myself. Um, and there's something that is literally just come out. I don't even think it's been put from the Netherlands. So Sandra Coy and Um, PsyQ and The Hague do lots and lots of work around female hormones Um, Susan Young in the UK has done lots of work and there is a a multi a multi country and agency study called Project which was at World Congress just earlier on Mm. and that is about um, women with ADHD and Mm. the hormones, the impact looking at what what we need to understand because it's It could make or break a titration if if it's not working or if you're asking people to reflect, are they having difficulties with hormones? Or are we ruling out, oh well that doesn't work for that person? Or actually they might have just needed some tweaking. Has a huge impact. Absolutely.
3: It's it's really interesting you say about the research because I've seen the research that you're talking about, you know, coming through and and it is all through, but it's like it's not coming quickly enough. Um, and we've got this explosion of um, people like me. You know, I'm, I'm 53 years old. I found out in April this year that I've lived with this all my life. Um, and of course, in the 70s and 80s, you know, wasn't a thing, was it? Wasn't even a thing, was it? So you know, and it was like, oh, you know, she'll be fine. She'll be all right, and she'll go to the factory and work. And and you know, so many people burning out, and you know, like. When it comes to menopause stats, you've got one in ten women leaving the workplace. Mm-hmm. And then on top of people like me who are then finding there's this whole other life that they could have had. Um, you know, I'm I'm my life was was good, but some people may not have had, like you say, you know, those economic factors, you know, the the holding down relationships, you know, all of all of this sort of thing, you know, and being like, you know, and imagine finding that out at like fifty three and being like, "Whoa!" So there's another um, kind of mental health piece on top of that, isn't there as well? Yeah. So, you know, we've got we've and I'm from sitting in a place where I the you know the young ladies of you know puberty age. Going through this at my age, I want it sorting now, you know. I want I want it to be sorted. And and the more we do this, the more we get the data, yeah. the more it will be. And the less we target naughty boys. you know. Yeah. Do so, so I have
0: a question, if I can, very briefly? <laughs> I, I was just, while you were both talking, I was listening, but I was looking at all the questions we had on our WhatsApp community when I said mm. we're doing an episode on this. Now, I understand why, but predominantly the two words that come up more are perimenopause, menopause. How does it affect? What's the cros- crossover? Oestrogen, dopamine, everything that we've sort of touched on already. What's interesting to me is all of these ladies were once little girls. Mm-hmm. All of these little girls at some point, whether it was just pre-puberty, through puberty, and all the stages you mentioned earlier, Sarah, must have, if I'm hearing things right, had struggles that they couldn't either describe understand or that their parents didn't understand and so my my wonder now because you're talking about for example the goddess research which is great but my i suppose my my question in my head is do we need the research to be starting from childhood if we can is it is it is there time is there a call for a you know, starting a longitudinal study on prepubescent girls with diagnosed or undiagnosed ADHD and tracking them through. And, and how does that change, you know? Because I suppose eventually, and we could be talking tens of years, 15, 20, even more, but eventually that's where data starts. So then we go, ah, oh, there's a pattern. There's recognition. There's things, classroom maybe strategies can change. You know, I, I, can, I can remember being in school and and the very emotional girls at, you know, mm-hmm. 11, 12, 13, mm-hmm. and the boys being typically boys and just, mm. <laughs> but now I sit there going, oh, I just wonder what the hell was going through their heads if they couldn't compute it. And they were just being told, you know, and I'm sure most women have heard this and most of my clients who are female have been told this at least once, it's just your hormones.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That's about as useful as a chocolate fire guard, thanks How about what do you mean by it? What's your interpretation of that? But if that's the level of, I don't want to use the word care But the level of information people are receiving It does open a sort of a Pandora's box for problems, doesn't it, later in life?
3: Well, there's a flip side though as well, Matt Which is, you know, I see your beautiful red curtain behind you you now i i do feel that from my acting skills for the last 53 years i deserve mm. because i have learned to you know we don't do this we do this or well, what are they doing i'm watching what other people are doing yeah. you know and i've learned it so much that today i sit and i'm like mm, which one am i <laughs> which yeah. which person am i going to be because It has been so ingrained, and that is why, you know, in the workplace, um, you know, I'm sitting there going, I was a successful project manager running global projects. Why can't I organise a business case in my own business? What is happening? And it was because I didn't have the hyper-focus on, I didn't have all of the coping mechanisms around me, um, Mm. because I'd learned in the workplace to do all of these things. And this was how we presented to our parents, to where, uh, you know, um, you know, lockdown came for me. And I was like, whoa, I'm ready for lockdown because I just was not going out anymore because it was just too stressful because I had to be this person that I, and I, I didn't know it at the time, but it was so exhausting to be this person that was constantly all the time, you know, having a 360 view, having a 360 here in a restaurant, it was exhausting.
0: Now, you see, that's the word that I see more people use all the time when when, when they describe, how does ADHD feel? It's exhausting. But mm-hmm. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, my my, my belief is we all learn that social construct of We behave like this, do this, don't do that. That's what good looks like. And I always say this, and and I think if you wanted people to know how hard that was for you, they would need to follow you home and watch you in the three or four hours after you get home from work or school or wherever and see how long it takes you to decompress, Mm. right? Now, I say this a lot, but what's just occurred to me now is I wonder how much longer it takes when, the estrogen is at its lowest, and that means you can't produce enough dopamine. And therefore, you are that exhausted, and you you aren't actually going to get back to baseline anywhere near as quickly. Is it any wonder, then, that so many women talk about having issues in, in relationships because their partner doesn't understand their ADHD? Well, hold on a minute. Is it that and I hold my own hand up here. Is it that maybe we don't understand ADHD? We have no idea about hormones because, let's be honest, all young boys do in school when girls' hormones come up is sit there and snigger. And unless you <laughs> happen to be a scientist, you know, a scientifically minded, boom, nothing goes in right. So we sit there snigger, don't learn anything, and then get in a relationship and go, "Oh my god, do I need to buy chocolate? Do I need to get you hot water bottle? What do I need?" You know, it's that, you know. And I know I'm making light of it, but actually. I'm, I'm, this is genuine honesty now. I'm looking back going, perhaps if I'd had more understanding, actual understanding that mm. what's going on, I may have known what to do a bit differently instead of just shutting down or you just being emotional or God, dare I say it, it you're a bit hormonal, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right, think- Andrew's face, believe yeah. me. Listen, <laughs> I know, I know, but th- I I know that's said, right? And it's that thing of oh God, what did I just say? But what? if you d- we don't know this stuff, and you're right, I've I've before we recorded, I've been looking online, and I can pull lots of information ish out about this. Lots of hypotheses, lots of sort of generally speaking, but there isn't a lot of so hopefully this, the goddess is to start a hard mm. and fast and defined research that that answers these questions but it does lead me to ask this question so Sarah, i'm going to come to you first as in in terms of practice now it makes sense to say every woman's experience of this is going to be unique right your yeah. you experience your hormonal fluctuations in your way, you experience your ADHD in your way and your other coexisting, whether it's autism or yeah. anxiety. Fine. So if they come to you, what does good look like in terms of the questions that you, you would like to ask or what do you think needs to be asked of the, those ladies? Because we've spoken about how it could affect titration in the beginning. Yeah. But surely then there's also the conversation about, and by the way, once a month... Your meds are going to stop feeling like they've worked, and here's some other things that might be worth considering. Then, yeah, you know, would that be a good start in your mind?
2: Totally, it needs to be. That needs to be part of good practice in working with women with ADHD. And you know, doing doing an appointment a couple of days ago, was yesterday. Before I was talking about this, was saying to a set of parents, "You have, you have a ten year old daughter." You know, this is the diagnosis. Whilst we're sorting out medication, this is what we need to sort out. I need you to be aware that in the next few years, you know, we might get to a stable dose at the age of 10. Come 12, 13, when those periods start, not anymore. So it's not just educating the clinicians into what needs to be asked. It's making sure at that point we're educating parents and the young person into Mm -hmm. what they need to be looking for. Um, One of my bugbears is keep a diary. Who with ADHDs? anybody you got to keep in a diary. You know, we we'll lose it, we we'll forget. But one of the things is that technology is awesome. So Fitbits. So yeah. I've got an app. Always forget to charge my Fitbit. <laughs> constantly forget to put it on. But the app is on my phone, and that tracks. And actually, that is quite, um, quite helpful. So the days and the day yeah. you finish, and that can be enough. So something as simple as that. To then help guide the clinician through these ups and downs and then starting to work within that session where you're reviewing medication about when has this helped, when hasn't this helped, looking for examples and trying to find those early warning indicators of actually this, it's going to be like this. So, for it's taken me a long time to understand, but for me, when my hormones are starting to drop, I get more anxious and Andrew sees it before I see it. So Andrew notices oh, wow. that I'm I'm starting to sort of have that hormonal shift long before I do. Uh, eventually, I'll 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 recognise it. But Andrew's the first person to see it because he sees sort of my anxiety levels starting to increase or changing the way I do things or so my focus just not um, not being enough. And, and on some occasions, you've said meds today.
1: Uh-huh.
2: are your meds working? Um, so it's that next step of partners as well. So, as people go working with partners to explain what they may see, what partners can help with family members. Um, and that has to be good practice. We have to start embedding that into those conversations. It's part of the assessment and then it's part of the treatment process, but also coming back to that because there are going to be significant changes, like say after birth. And that's yes. a huge one for me. When I look back at my career, and I think of all sort of the, the perinatal teams and the, the antenatal mm. teams, we've got midwives that are going out and doing home visits. We've got social, where mm. you know some mom, some some new mums are really struggling, and there's a referral to social services. Did they have ADHD? Have they had ADHD? All of these things. There are all these people around socially who could be starting to pick up these indicators. And that's, that's really important. Can, can, and it has to happen.
3: Can to. I just say? Yeah. There, sorry, you've just, you've just blown my mind there. Okay. Because I'm sitting here thinking about me as a perimenopausal woman, because I'm not quite sure where I am. But obviously I take HRT. And, you know, you've just said about, you know, a uh, our, our, our youngster's going through puberty. Get it fixed for a little while and it might be steady for a while and then it might change. And you're just suddenly like, just put on a massive big light bulb in my head which is I titrated from April to now everything is fine but what happens when I have my next drop in estrogen mm-hmm. and I need more HRT yep. so oh my goodness you just like in my another out hole yeah you know so it's never it's never a finite thing with the you know but the hormone as part of the whole situation—it just wow.
2: And that then knocks. And we, we talk this. That then knocks into things like commissioning. We commission services to assess, mm. diagnose, treat, get you stable. We'll see you in a year's time. We encourage people to say if things change, come back before your yearly review. Mm. Services aren't always commissioned for the work that's mm. then needed, and we have these banging the moments in people's lives. And again, like he says, these are the natural ones. There could be sort of chemical induced. There can be surgery. You know, if somebody has mm-hmm. coexisting conditions and needs a full hysterectomy with the ovaries removed and has ADHD, yeah.
0: And
2: we know through the years, um, in in the bad old days of mental health and, and psychiatry, we had women who were brought into the asylums, for the want of a better word, hysterical. Yeah. You know, hysterical after a hysterectomy, that's who it comes from. You know, women's bit. Hysterectomy yeah. hysterical. Um, And again, just because there isn't the research doesn't mean that the evidence isn't there. We've always had yeah. this presentation mm-hmm. dipping in and out of things Um. But like, say, coming back to it, good. we should be recognizing, but also as a person with ADHD, as an individual, be kind to yourself. You know, if you know you have, if you're lucky, you've got regular periods, you know what your fluctuations are like. Why are you going to put the most important meetings at work in for the week? You know, and right. so that comes down, that, that is then coming into coaching and access to work and where am i going yeah. to need this support it hasn't it has an impact on everything
0: now you see you've just you've just preempted the next thing i was <laughs> going to come on to there which was okay i see and have seen an explosion in which is great um, menopause awareness in the workplace it's fantastic it's needed in the same way that adhd and neurodiversity awareness is needed great but if that awareness piece doesn't have at least some touch point or understanding of coexisting, right? Because menopause on its own, perimenopause on its own. Okay. He's he's going to present in one way. He's going to be one thing. perimenopause plus, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that anxiety is not uncommon amongst women going through perimenopause, stress, (laughs) depression, right? Emotional dysregulation. Hold on a minute. Are they not mainstays of what we hear people talking about with their ADHD? You know, and I'll bring you, Andrew, on his RSD, emotional dysregulation, anger issues, right? There's a point where we go, we need people to be aware that we might think this is my menopausal symptoms period, but this might be ADHD, this might be anxiety. And, And Andrew and I have spoken about this in the past. It's a minefield for the you ladies to experience it, because what do you treat is the wrong word, but 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 what do you do first? You know, there I'm sure that again, there must be days where you sit there completely. I'll use your word there, so discombobulated, going, I haven't got a clue. (laughs) I mean, I'm just all over the place, right? Yeah, and and is that medication for ADHD? Is that you know, you, you, hormonal imbalance. What What's going on? And more to the point, like Sarah just, Sarah just said, what do you do? Is that a point where we are, we should be able to phone the workplace and say, not today? You know that meeting, you know that presentation, that's getting rescheduled, right? Yeah. Put it down to menopause, if you were putting it down to whatever, but that is not happening because if I try, it will be an absolute terrible experience for everyone. I would rather not. And is that part of the culture shift in organisations that they should be able to go? I'm not even going to question it.
3: It's right? interesting because when you say about the workplace, Matt, even with, when you're in the workplace. So I, I decided to to take my leave at a point where we were going through a trans, you know, a transformation. So there was an opportunity for me for me to go, and I could have stayed, but I was like. Mm, you know, my self-awareness is quite high, so I was like, you know, I do not want to be managed out of this organisation in this time because I am pretty tired with all of this at the point thinking, you know, perimenopause. But there's things like, going back to your question, around on these days, what do we do? I stood with my boss, who is a very good friend still, and we were making a cup of tea, having a chat, as you do, and, and this is really important, so I... <laughs> I'm not just telling you a story. Um, this is really important because we stood, we chatted, we we're making our cups of tea, and we're back and forward, and make the bridge and everything. And I was like, "Oh, I need to go to the loo." And um, we were quite a small team, and, and you know, so we were quite informal with each other. And 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 you know, she. Okay, yeah, you don't you don't need to like get a slip to go to the toilet. You know, you don't need to tell me you're going to the toilet. And at that point, what I was doing was stalling for time because. I had forgotten where the toilets were. And I had worked in that building for fifteen years.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And was frozen. Absolutely frozen to the spot. Going, why can't I remember? Where are the toilets? And I'm trying to visualize it. So there there are those moments as well. Mm-hmm. And and that's probably one of the extremes, but you know, Sarah, I'm sure you've heard lots of different things like this, but it's yeah. scared the living daylights out of me because I was like, what if I was driving my car?
1: Mm-hmm. What
3: if I was, you know, what this, what, you know, the whole what if situation happens. So, you know, in the workplace, yeah, right. What if I've been stood up in front of, you know, a group of people giving a presentation that meant there was contract at the end of it. And I mm. completely had that moment. Um, yeah, it was. And that was the, I think that was a catalyst for me saying, I'm going to go and take some time out and and work out what's going on here and, and do my thing but you're right it's not always accepted that you know ring in and be like oh you know I need a mental health day or I need a menopause day or I need a you know some time to work at home and some people don't afford a day I mean Sarah no but you couldn't do your job at home Andrew you couldn't do your job at home because you need to be with people um, whereas I was quite easily able to hide at home and work away it's it's um it, it feels like all of these things start meshing together and it's about how we can make the workplace work mm-hmm. for every everyone rather than pointing out different and and you know making it feel that you know if you do this for you know you know maybe Andrew might be like, oh, Sarah's had me up all night because she's been tossing in town because she's too hot and driving me, and I-, I can't concentrate today. He might be like, I would like to stay at home. Yeah.
2: Stay, you know,
3: oh. so it's, it so it makes it feel like it feels like it's a big ask, but why can't we just make it the norm for the workplace?
0: Yeah. I, I, I do completely agree. And, you know, as somebody that, that educates, On neurodivergent awareness in the workplace, I I always make a point and I know it can only ever be a touch point of saying, "Look, folks, you've got to consider if you've got ladies in the workplace with ADHD, you've got to consider they have hormones as well and it changes. And I I do the the most surface level. Look, please, if you've had menopause workshops, if you're talking about it, if you've got an ERG specifically for, for menopause please have a chat about this and understand mm. it. But actually, you've just raised the question. And again, forgive me if you could see my eyes looking. I was reading the questions, and there's there's, <laughs> there's a term that comes up a lot, and I don't know if there's an answer to this, but you have both just illustrated what I've heard my wife, Catherine, refer to as brain fog. Right? Yeah. These moments where forgetting where the toilets are, or I don't know how to get to my mother's mm-hmm. what But I've also heard very similar presentations when people's ADHD is really gripping them.
3: Yeah. So which one was it I was having that day? Right, exactly that. Oh my
0: life! It's like, how are you supposed to know? What? I don't get. I mean, is it different from your point of view? Could you? Are you able to tell when it's? Brain fog, no. metaphors or just an ADHD day or uh, an anxiety day, Sarah, because you mentioned that, you know. All right, yeah. Actually, let me go back to that. I'm going to come to Andrew. What is it you notice then? Because Sarah said you pick up on the anxiety first. Right, so there's, there's a very clear change. What do you notice first that then. Okay. Uh, Sarah goes, oh, right. Okay. So
1: I'll answer that question, but I'll answer some thoughts that have been going through my head as what's been said has been said. Um, and that. The first point is: Is it hormones? Is it ADHD? We've got to remember that ADHD is persistent and pervasive. Okay, so you don't have a bad ADHD. You have a bad ADHD day. You have a bad day, and your ADHD impacts more because of the everything else around you. In this this difficulty that is created by medical reductionism, we we have medicine has to reduce things down to to simple sort of reduced silos of things so the idea of an endocrinologist and a psychiatrist having a conversation is quite a rare <laughs> the relationship between psychiatry and endocrinology is really important um, so to mm. answer your questions about was it it's when it's a bad day what kind of day is it I think there's something it's it's, it's that other hormone again is it it's about adrenaline if you are anxious mm-hmm. because you the place and your dopamine levels aren't, aren't as um, good as they are at other stages in the cycle. Then you're going to be producing more adrenaline. You're going to because uh, and feeling anxious, uh, and that is going to impact on everything. So the bad day isn't about the the drop in dopamine level. It's about the impact of that on the rest of your endocrine system. So remember, I said at the beginning, we've got this balance of hormones. Um, so if one changes, there's there are checks and balances, um, and I think that's right. what's going on. So to come back to the more personal question about what do I know? I don't know. I, you know, I don't keep a, a, a sort of cycle tracker of my life. It's not like that. <laughs> I, that's not how, that's not? not how I roll. Maybe, maybe I should. <laughs> oh,
0: I want stalk a Fitbit now, Jackie.
2: Yeah, I was going to say share my Fitbit with you.
1: But it's it's
2: about,
1: <laughs> for me someone and noticing that they're the different and what's going on. And we talk a lot. Mm. I think, you know, t- two people with ADHD having a relationship can be challenging and communication is, is absolutely key. Um, so we talk a lot. Yeah. And if, I, th- I, th- I think it's it's the regulation the to bring that horrible language in. It, if Sarah is struggling more or something's impacted her differently than it usually would, That's usually the first thing that ticks in my mind that goes, oh, hang on a minute, is this related to oestrogen? And it's not like I have that thought. I just think, oh, it's the way she usually would.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense.
1: As a husband, Sarah said earlier, the the first question I ask is, have you had meds today? And that's a reasonable question Mm. to ask. But when the answer is yes, that's not, oh, well, they're not working. You know, that, that's not a husband's response, a, resp- a husband's response. No, no. Oh, right. Well, you know, you you, you seem more distracted. You seem like that what's just happened has really hit you hard. And it wouldn't a week ago have hit you like that. What's going on? Um, and I, I think as, as partners, we can be supportive by asking those inquisitive questions. What's, what's happening? You, you seem different. Yeah, change. Is there anything I can do? Can I go and get that bar of chocolate that we talked about last week and and, and have that impact on the mood, even though it's not biochemical?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so don't tell her she's being a bit stroppy? Is that, Probably is that unwise, Matt, yeah. No, <laughs> that, that wouldn't be <laughs> okay.
2: I think one of the things is um, so not so much brain fog for me, but my words and my speech, isn't it? Yeah. So I will use words... Thinking I'm saying one thing and I come out with something else. So, uh, names. Uh, so I think I'm saying my mum's partner's name and actually I'm saying something totally different. Yeah. yeah. Is that you notice yeah. you go, you're right there. Yeah. Aww. So it's, it's little things like that as well. Um, yeah. Or just not being, I think for me as well, not being as effective in, in the chores I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. Which, so it yeah. taking us a bit longer or I'm struggling oh, to God. actually task, where, you know, yes, I struggle with task completion anyway, but it it presents differently. Uh, So, so
0: a slight sort of change in direction a bit. Here's the question then, because I think, Angie, you just mentioned something about rarely do a psychiatrist and an endocrinologist speak, right? Okay. But... Am I right in thinking there are other things that can present similarly as well? you know we talk about thyroid issues and we talk about you know heart issues and so where's the relationship between if the first port of call for most people will be their g p right I'm struggling with whatever what happens there now Sarah I know you've got a sort of different perspective on this because of your 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 sort of experience so what was that like for you? And how 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 did this come about that you thought maybe okay, maybe I've got to look in a different direction and pursue this from a different angle then?
2: So you mean around my ADHD and my diagnosis? Yeah, and then you were
0: talking just offline about the endocrinology and about yeah, thyroid yeah. issues.
2: Um so my diagnosis, um and earlier on we were talking about masking and you were talking about masking. Yeah. Now bear in mind, so I was 39 when I was diagnosed. And I was working in an adult ADHD service and I was masking so well that, yes, I was struggling day to day with organization and finishing things, Mm. but nobody was picking up his colleagues. Originally was my colleague, but things obviously changed. And Andrew mm. said he wasn't sure I had ADHD until he met my kids. And that's where my diagnosis pathway started. My children were starting to be assessed. And I suddenly thought, this seems all a bit familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> and it just, and he started. And then that that, that then led to a referral mm. along that pathway. So mine was different. So I was like, say, I was working in an adult ADHD service wow. going into work. And there was definitely hints and tips. <laughs> Definitely hints and tips. Um, Making people way around work, being totally chaotic. That's what you do. What Sarah does anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But when it came to doing the stuff that I was hyper focused on, or when it came to working with the areas of where I knew my stuff, that whole hyper focus kicked in, and you you wouldn't know. Um, So on the back of that. Um, I'd had a thyroid disorder since my early 20s and it was diagnosed by my JP. And one of the things we were talking about was this year, for the first time I went and saw a private endocrinologist because I couldn't get a referral to see an um, endocrinologist. It just wasn't happening with my JP. For years and years, people had said that you haven't been taking your thyroxine. Um, long story short, turns out I don't... I don't um, when I, when I have thyroxine in my system, I don't convert it to the, the hormone. I'm, I'm rubbish at that. So, that. so that was a bonus. But what was there and what was obvious in terms of that endocrinology was the, the, the difficulties and the challenges that I'd had predated my thyroid, starting to fail. So it was there from when I was younger. But I clearly diagnosed ADHD um, and I was me. I am Sarah, and I had the family mm. environment where I had scaffolding. I had very, very young parents who tried really hard. They were awesome. Um, I had cousins. I had a brother, and, and I was just me. And that worked. And one of the things that they brought up was my mum taught me to read before I went to school, and that helped me to mask. So, So, so you know, by the time I went to reception, I could read books. And that helped me to mask a lot. But when you mm-hmm. were talking earlier on about the girls in school crying, I remember being in year seven, you know, in senior. And there was, it was sort of like an end of term test. And there were all these different stations in the science lab. I'd been staring out the window. So when I then came to having to t- t- to follow the instructions, I didn't listen to them. And I just cried. Yeah, I cried. And I remember the science teacher. I still remember Mrs. Hales going crying why are you so upset because i didn't have a clue didn't have a clue and i was petrified i was going to be told off for not listening mm-hmm. so i didn't want to say to her i wasn't listening to you i was staring out the window so i just cried and again wasn't picked up on but it was the 90s so this was 1990 mm-hmm. so this was yeah. 19. and it just wasn't a thing but because mm-hmm. i could read and because i was clever for the want of a better words i was just winging it and masking it and it wasn't until looking back I hit my A levels, and the A levels was, you know, I totally tanked them, totally tanked them, all A's, other than one A in general studies, but wow. studies with ADHD, you're going to get an A because yeah. you don't show. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it, it was there, but that but that was my story. So coming back, it, it it's about when all of these other endocrinology difficulties are there. So as yeah. ADHD nurses... Ask these questions. It's, it's part of looking mm-hmm. at, uh, at the diagnostic criteria. So, looking at is there any sort of difficulties with diabetes because we know when blood sugars are low, you can't concentrate. So, yeah. now that doesn't mean you can't have diabetes and be ADHD.
0: No. Yeah.
2: But we just have to look at where these difficulties are happening. If your blood sugars having those difficulties with concentration, it's evidencing it, and that's what an ADHD yeah. assessment is. You're basically mm-hmm. evidencing what it's not. More than what it is. We know the symptoms are there. So let's make sure it's nothing else. And that is why ADHD assessments are so... I mean, tell us if you think I'm wrong. But that's that's sort of what we do. We, we're ruling out, in showing what it is. We know people with ADHD will have periods of depression. Depression impacts on your mood. It impacts on your cognition. It impacts on your memory. Same with anxiety. There are all these different states, but it's that longevity. Because the symptoms mm-hmm. will be there. They are there when somebody is younger it's looking and it's getting the evidence now that doesn't mean if you can't remember your childhood you, you can't have a diagnosis there are there are so many different ways of getting that evidence yeah. and showing that it's there
0: can i ask a question then to, to you and andrew in terms of assessments, we, again, we touched on this before about if if this podcast and these episodes do anything, if they arm people with different and maybe more useful information to have conversations with professionals like yourselves with, this is a good thing. Now, what's just occurred to me is I have conversations all the time about self-assessment, self-diagnosis. Is it valid? You know, fine. Okay. I understand during COVID lots of people. Thousands of us sat there going, oh, that's why. Because you know, we could. However, would you prefer as professionals that somebody came almost armed with information to an initial assessment with you and said, Look, I've been looking into my childhood, my hormones, my my and, and sort of had you know, listen to an episode like this, started to put the pieces together, done their research for themselves and said, I I don't know whether whether this will help, but here, have this. Would that help you in your role, would you say, in terms of that initial stage? Or would it be a case of, look, that's great, but I'm still going to go through as we have to go through the, the process?
1: I think it depends on the clinician. Um, because it's you know you can say uh, no I think we'll just go through the process that I do with everybody. But how responsible is the individual need? If someone's gone to the trouble of pulling this evidence together mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. saying, well, actually, I you know there, there are issues with my menstrual cycle. I have issues with my um, my thyroid monitoring. You know, having all that information in a bundle and saying here is absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, this is the ones that I like the most, because often there are, I had a conversation with a young lady yesterday where there were little clues the little clues from um, sort of, um, allergy sensitivities and uh, and all sorts of things that so I've got to go away and, and look at what's going on there. But there are clues in the endocrinology. Areas of medicine that a, a clinician should be considering, because we are not ADHD, we are people who live with ADHD, and we don't sit in these different specialisms. Um, you know, it, 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 it's hard that ADHD sits as a specialism away from general psychiatry. Isn't that really difficult mm. when one in five people mm. sitting in a general psychiatrist's office probably has ADHD, according to the research. You know, they're, they're sitting there saying, oh, it can't be ADHD, but you're not responding to this antidepressant, so we'll try a different antidepressant, and they work through the 20-plus antidepressants that are there when actually it's ADHD. Specialism has function, it has use in medicine because it allows us to be blinkered and focused, but actually sometimes we have to take a step back and think about this bigger picture, what's going on with the thyroid, you know, I think the thyroid bloods are coming back all right, but we're still seeing symptoms. That maybe, And it's always got to be, as, as a clinician, I always keep that sort of stuff in mind, um, particularly in terms of endocrinology um, and general psychiatry. You've got to, you can't just ignore those and, and aim for laser precision focus from a stimulant. That's not going to work. This is about helping people yeah, that yeah,
0: before,
1: we? best that they can within the biology that they're limited by.
0: So that's, interesting that's right. me then. Sorry, Alan, I was going to say that comes back to what you said about <laughs> you having that aha moment when Sarah was talking earlier and going, mm-hmm. "Oh, wait a minute! I'm just coming to the end of titration, but what happens when I have another hormonal change? What happens when?" And had you been given that as a heads up in in it, diagnosis, it's would would your thought process have changed, or would you have gone, "Oh, well, now I'm I'm going to pay attention"? Or so my story
3: is i was that went with all of the information in 2015 about um i was very fortunate to have private healthcare so i was able to see a private psychiatrist um and i went to see the psychiatrist and and we we tried you know the cbt i don't quite know what this is meant to be kind of thing you know all right let's move on you know i don't want to be medicated well i think we should try that so we tried all of the different medications and then we had a point where i was in a bit of a okay i'm okay but i'm not brilliant but i'm okay and that was when i you know got fixated on oh hang on how old am i oh okay started looking at menopause you know i was the one that rocked up to my gp um down the road here with the nice clinical guidelines for menopause with clinical papers on menopause Um, the fact that, you know, i researched this research. As it happens, it was received received well because, you know, of course I'd researched testosterone, you know. I mean, tell me you're living with ADHD and you don't know it. Good Lord. Um, But, you know, that landed okay there. And obviously dealing with a private psychiatrist, I was able to go back and say, hey, what about all of this? Oh, my goodness. And, of course, being a psychiatrist, as you say, Andrew, they sent me back to my GP because it was menopause that it wasn't their their place. And and, and Sarah, you, Sarah, you're saying about all of these different tests, you know, I was tested for rheumatoid arthritis, I was tested for this. I mean, the amount of money and time that has been wasted. It, it is this. It is this. I know my body, it is this, you know. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, it is that. And it's like, yeah, but you've just put me through a whole process that someone else could have had. You know, so that continued. And then obviously leaving the workplace. Of course I did an online assessment, didn't I? Mm. And I took it. I took it back to the psychiatrist that knew my history. And I was like, hey, things are not looking good. What do you think of this? Ooh, right. Yes. <laughs> and here we are. Right, hold so, on. So
0: when you, I mean... When you went back to that psychiatrist with mm. that online assessment said, things aren't looking good, what did you at that point mean and what were you, what were you trying to, you know, so when, was, when, what was their response mm. to what wasn't the good bit or what should have improved?
3: So, so I'd been on um, antidepressants right. for a number of years. Um, you know, we'd been up and down. You know, we'd increase, we'd decrease, we'd increase, we'd decrease. so we'd been all the way around. Antidepressant, you know, um, circle at HRT. It was on the go we checked all my hormone levels because I again I, I went privately to have in the end to have my HRT sorted out because I, I couldn't be seen yeah. um and I've all the beautiful gifts that menopause brought me I felt like I was ticking everybody 30 odd um so I knew that all of my hormone levels were fine so I was like mm, yeah someone else does that play here and when when I sort of went back and you know I had t- taken in the you know the, the online test, and I was like, and then we started looking back at my records. And I was like, well, it, I thought we thought it was my hormones, it's not that now, you know. We thought it was, you know, so it was almost like building that picture, you know, like you say, Andrew, when someone lands with a picture that they can give you, and but we still went down a very robust route, um, you know, it wasn't just taken as fact, um, like because I had my own agency. I was able to just keep pushing, but obviously not everyone is as yeah. brawshy as me <laughs> and is fixated with me. Uh, so not everyone has that agency and not everyone has the privilege of being able to go to see a private yes. you know, um, healthcare yeah. provider. Now, latter this year, I've, I've literally been paying out of my pocket because I don't have private healthcare because I don't work for a big organisation anymore, but it was still worth it for the simple reason that... I could have gone onto the list and waited another few years to be seen on right to choose, but that psychiatrist had no fifteen, and had taken me on that journey. Had been on that journey with me, and always extremely respectful for me bringing those things into the, the clinic with them. Um, so, almost unpicking before we even started, where fine. Um, And I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a healthcare professional, but what I was doing was trying to do, as Andrew said, bring something that sort of says, look, this is what's going on. Like you say, Sarah, keeping your diary of things that are going on, a bit of data, you know, but going back to, you know, the endocrinology, Andrew, I I have argued that the bell-shaped curve and the norms (laughs) are the norms, but my norms are different to Matt's norms. And far as norms and your norms. So sometimes we just have to push um, to say, but my body is very different to, and I may need, but my levels are saying they're in the norms. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it really does, and 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 but that's why I was interested in again. It's that journey, isn't it, and that process of discovery. You use the word that I think is very important is this feeling of agency, this feeling mm-hmm. of ability to speak for yourself and to be confident in what you say. And I'll come back to that again. The whole reason I I wanted to do our podcast, but I would only do it with these two in front of me, was because they have the knowledge and the ability to help lift me up and give other people agency. I, if I did it on my own. I'm just another bloke waffling on about what I think I know about ADHD. The, these guys, it's your profession, right? And I'm really grateful for that. And then getting you on then as well, this experience, this, hopefully every lady, every woman, every girl that gets to, to hear this, well, if they feel nothing other than it's not just me. If they feel nothing other than, okay, maybe I can, ask a few questions i can i can look at this in a slightly different way and not be afraid to question then i think we're doing well i will just say this um andrew sorry i i will say the source there are a couple of tests that i've seen and i've shared with other women before which uh, seem to be more specified at, like online have i got things one for uh, ladies and i've just seen one for girls as well Right. So this is a for, I think, under 14. And I've just scanned the questions, and literally all of them, as I read them, are based more on emotion and feeling Mm -hmm. than anything else. I mean, I'm scanning them. I get stomach aches or headaches. My feelings change. I feel like I want to cry. I feel left out. I have arguments with friends. When I want to join a group of girls, I don't know how to or what to say. Even when I've got something to say, I don't put my hand up. I get upset or angry more than others do. I feel them, but these are all feelings. But I wonder if if this is that's been written because actually that I don't want to use the word plays into, but that's actually focusing more on. There are hormones at play at a young age that do affect your, homo- your emotional mm-hmm. response to things. And it's trying to draw the parallel between, okay, is that, as Andrew said, is that pervasive? Is it constant or is it fluctuating? And, and then mm-hmm. is that a starting point for mom and dad to go to a, a GP and say, yeah. hold on a minute. Does that make sense? Because I've not I've not seen that before. You know, all the standard metrics and sorry you mentioned it at the start, all of the standard DSM stuff for years was boys. I'm astounded that any female was ever diagnosed. If I'm honest, based on what was available for you as professionals, I'm astonished because it didn't relate to most women. So it's it's sadly no surprise that so many women end up being late diagnosed. To me. Um, And it's sadly no surprise that so many women are so confused by it Mm -hmm. in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, if I go back to the list of questions I've got in front of me from our, our community, all of them were, I've never had this explained, I don't understand why, can you explain why? Relationships between estrogen and progesterone, relationships between menopause and menopause, relationships between hormones dropping and, wait a minute, We're back to this point of if the information was there in the first place. And all right, there might not be the body of research, but there are billions of women who have experienced this. And it's about being able to say, you have voices, you're allowed to say, hold on, this is what I experience every month and have done since I was potentially eight years old. Could you please pay attention to that as well?
3: Yeah. It's interesting, Matt, because I'm thinking about when I said about agency, you know, I was able to have that agency for myself. But Sarah, when you're talking about, you know, young girls, um, you know, their agency comes from their parents. And if their parents aren't on board for their agency, it's like, you know, well, can the teacher be there for agency? You know, who, who can see that? Okay, well, we're fixed now. Oh, no, we're not fixed. Who notices? Yeah. So it's, it's um yeah, it's almost like how, how can we, educate everybody you know not just old ladies like
2: yeah me. <laughs> well but when, when when you mentioned there about teachers being an agency for young girls teachers to refer boys to sort of school mental health services than they are girls or adhd that's yeah. that's there in the statistics and the research that's being gathered
0: is that because you've got a hyperactive naughty boy so they make the link quicker oh that i think yeah. that looks like adhd
2: so therefore,
0: and I know this is an impossible statement and to all my friends who are teachers, please don't come around and throttle me. But therefore, surely, that says there's a bit in the education of teachers. You know, there's there's an argument for, whether it's teacher training days or in, in teacher training itself, just just that bit to say, look, this is what ADHD, this is what neurodiversity looks like in girls. It might not be what you thought it was. Mm-hmm. Go back to you crying because you hadn't paid attention yeah. before uh, the exam, yeah. Sarah. If yeah. that teacher, instead of going, what's the matter, had gone, hmm, that's an unusual yeah. response to, can you start the exam now? And took you to yeah. one side. Maybe, you know, in the 90s, yeah. you'd have known something sooner than you do now. It's it's a, it's a phenomenal place for us to be, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um
2: and what I'm really just, conscious the, of is I was going to say, recently. just to bump in, on. one, I was going to say one of, one of the tools we use for diagnosis is the DIVA, the Diagnostic Interview for ADHD. There's the young DIVA and the, the adult DIVA. And right. literally in the last couple of weeks, they were advertising for a PhD candidate to start the process of looking at the DIVA and how they can be sensitive to women. So that is starting, but just now that's starting. So people are talking about it, but they're looking at that sensitivity right now. And that will hopefully then inform all those bits of training and education. And it is tricky for teachers. They have they have so many things they have yeah. to do in in classes that are just overwhelmed. Uh, and it it yeah. isn't, you know, it wasn't in training. But then me and Andrew, when we trained many moons ago, um, you know, 20 odd years ago since I've trained. ADHD was not ADHD and neurodevelopmental was not in mental health nurse training no. didn't exist and mm-hmm. I will hold my hands up even when I went for a job in the adult ADHD service I'd done some courses I'd done some training but I had to hold my hands up and go you are gonna have to train me because I can tell you what psychosis is I can tell you what depression is I can tell you what personality bipolar blah 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 I can take the guess but you're gonna have to and, and they did 15. I got that job in, well, got the job in 2014. Actually, it's about, it was about Christmas time, 2014. I went for the interview and I started in the March in the 2015. And wow. I sat there and went, I don't know enough. And that's what, nine years, nine, 10 years ago. And it's just slowly now, you know, and there are lecturers at local universities who have a developmental diagnosis and it, it's becoming more, but it's still, we're just not even touching the surface. Right, concerned. okay. There's an
0: interesting point yeah. there, Sarah. You, mate, Andrew, I'll, I'll bring you in on this one then. In your 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 professional experience, then, and you saying that has just bl- blown my mind. 2015, and and what's how little was known. Is this? I'll use that word agency again. I think at this point, is this again a time, a space where? The more people share their experiences, the more people talk about their unique experiences of their ADHD and how it has affected them, the more that it helps inform the research, the more that it helps move things forwards quicker than perhaps it has in the last nine years or since you've been working in this area, Andrew, because I've often got the impression that the research, or not the research, but the the methodology behind assessment and diagnosis has been fairly static. Right? It's that until the DSM's updated, that's all we say. But that's it. And it's still based on the information that was there when that information was first written and when those guidelines were first written. And so what is it that that speeds that up, I suppose, or improves that process from your point of Sorry,
1: view? So there's there's as always with your questions, Matt, there's layers to that. Um And I've been doing this long enough to remember the previous version of DSM, which which Mm. had a a lower age for um, symptom onset as a criteria, so you had to have symptoms evident before the age of seven. So the most recent revision brought that up to the age of 12, because if you've got someone in their Mm. 70s in your clinic, they haven't got someone who can remember. So, so they, so they're, they're, it's medical reductionism yet again you know we need the diagnostic criteria to be simple straightforward and focused in on key measures Um so we were talking last week i think about the the debate as to emotional dysregulation as, as being part of the diagnosis uh, of the the condition that we all live with but it 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 can't mm. sit in the diagnosis because that is, it doesn't differentiate ADHD from the other diagnoses that have emotional dysregulation in them. So it's not just about the diagnostic process. It's not just about the assessment. It's about clinical practice and Um that is that's bigger than the diagnosis of ADHD. That's about the doing of medicine, the doing of nursing and and how we provide care, and what we think about people. I think Elaine was talking about sort of standardizing accommodations, actually, everybody should have these accommodations, it should you've got ADHD, you need this, It, it should be that's what you need to optimise your performance in this role. Yeah. Whether you've got a wooden leg or you're you're inattentive or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's about how we as society respond to that. Um, so, so yeah, it's 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 bigger than bigger than assessment process. Um, because diagnostics and assessment processes need to be targeted in order to be effective. But it's conversations like ours where we we're attempting to broaden out that understanding and and relate this wider human experience of living with ADHD as opposed to being diagnosed with ADHD that, that helps push things forward and, and raise these sorts of questions.
3: Yeah, because I, I was just thinking when you asked the question, Matt, um, and, and going back to you know Sarah when you. In 2015, when you got the role that you were going into, it wasn't a, a thing at that point in time, or it was, but, it you know, it's this way. In 2015, I was the one, rep, you know, going with the NICE guidelines for menopause, going in with the clinical papers. So if you think about, you're looking at two streams here from where mm-hmm. I've been on my journey. One was menopause is being talked about more. We know more about menopause. We know more about, you know, mm-hmm. we know more about, menopause with ADHD for people of my age. We know more about hormones for young girls as well. There's just been a point where I think I don't want to sound like, you know, a radical feminist, but I, I feel like, you know, we have been kind of left behind a little bit and that we are starting, um, you know, be heard, um, you know, because, you know, I, I caught COVID two years after COVID hit, standing, shouting my mouth off down there, um parliament square on world menopause day i managed to miss it but i felt the need that i felt the need to be there and to, to make that andrew coming back to clinical practice it is all starting to move in the right direction but how can we make it move for everyone in the right direction yeah. if that makes
2: yeah. sense keep that me. momentum going not letting absolutely. it sort of drift off
0: yeah, yeah I, I, that, well that's absolutely the the only way forward, isn't it? And it's interesting, I was just reflecting there. I the term you hear a lot is like, you know misdiagnosis or or women who've been overlooked. What I'm getting from this conversation is the level of complexity in, as, a, as an individual now, I'm not talking from, from a clinician looking at you, individually, the level of complexity that you as ladies have to become experts in for yourself if you're able to, to understand everything that could be, might be going on, right, in itself is huge. If you then, use Elaine as an example, get to 53 years old thinking, right, I've got it now, this is this, and it's that, and that's been the issue for that, and that's why, and then somebody goes, oh, by the way, there's a four-letter, four letters you might want to consider, it's ADHD as well. I mean, it's it's no wonder we see so many people, so many women in states of depression or states of high anxiety or states of just despair when they've been diagnosed. And it's something I hear a lot. I've heard a lot from my own clients in mentoring and and in the past as well. And Andrew and I touched on it before of, I don't know, there's this expectation of, great, I've got a diagnosis. Life will get better now. It's like, woo magic bullet. And actually, for a lot of people, it's a, oh, Wait a minute, now I just have no information that's gonna make me cross and angry and resentful and upset. And how dare people have missed that? And why didn't anyone know? And and it's oh it's an astonishing situation yeah. to be in.
2: The conversation I always have when I do give because giving somebody a diagnosis and giving and not giving somebody a diagnosis is really hard. Really, mm. really hard. Nobody comes to you wanting the ADHD diagnosis because their life's perfect. You you seek an ADHD diagnosis because you're having difficulty. I always explain, you know, whatever is going on, whatever the label we're going to put on this is, you're still having difficulties and you still need help. You are still struggling. And that has to be really important for people. But when, you know, when I did give a a diagnosis of whatever combined type inattentive, I always say Few days, weeks, months, you are gonna go through this massive grief process. You are gonna go through the bargaining, the denial, the the laughing, the I mean that, what I did, I just laughed when I got my diagnosis. I just started giggling. You go through that whole lot and it's how we support you. And sometimes you don't want to have a conversation about medication at that point. Actually, what you wanna do is you wanna go away and you wanna go, What the hell just happened to us? What? What what's yes. this all about? Is everything that I've had in my life real? The conversations <laughs> I've had, the, the jobs yeah. I've been sacked from, wh- that, that wasn't me being lazy. That and uh, you just need that. And again, that's that's a really important process for, for yeah. all people mm-hmm. who are uh, involved with it. people who love someone that's with ADHD, it. who care for somebody with ADHD, is in those first few weeks to months, giving that support. But also yeah. where it's really interesting because we're all a different diagnostic sort of after points so i'm mm-hmm. um, six seven years after my diagnosis andrew's a couple of years you're rearing a bit mm-hmm. and your whole thought process changes as you go through yeah so i remember when andrew started med school why don't you take these every day they're awesome and now you're at that point aren't you where you pick and choose it
3: yeah because it, yeah, it yeah. it's
2: like oh my god how should i have to realize what you because you lose some of you with medication as well as gain so it's, yeah. it's that balance but Absolutely. It's not for me and in my, my clinical practice. It's making sure that you come back to that sort of conversation about how are you at this point now. You, you know, you've been diagnosed yeah. for five years now. Where yeah. are you? Where are those challenges? what are we doing? What I only got access to work last year for sort of the the, the software. This year, I've, I've I've managed to get a PA, but it's taken me years and years to actually come to the sort of recognition. A disability yeah hard oh, it. that's a really and, big thing See say that as a yeah, nurse
3: and
2: the grief yeah, yeah. huge yeah could
3: my life different the grief, yeah the grief thing Sarah is huge isn't it because you know I had the grief around menopause because I was a completely different person I wasn't able to do yeah. all the things that I used to be able to do then like Matt said they threw this fall I'm at me um and and the shortage of medication from like September to now I have, again, been in this angry state of I wish I had never known that April had happened and I started titrating onto medication because I'm finding this really hard because mm. I thought I was on it, Matt, you know? Yeah,
0: you just... I know, I know, but that's that's the issue, isn't it? That's that's the problem, um,
3: yeah. And you problems. don't know what you don't know until you've tried it.
0: Right. So listen, um, I'm very conscious of, of, of time here, right? Um, I know that both Sarah and Andrew are clinicians and you're working and I'm pulling out your day. So um, I will just say this before I bring Andrew in to sort of sum up with a bit of clinical stuff. I said this at the start. I'll say it again now. This is just the first time I think we're going to touch about this. I've been listening and I've got about 10 separate episodes in my head that we could spend a separate hour on at least that have come out of just this conversation, right? So we will be revisiting this, but I hope, if nothing else, it's, it's highlighted that, yes, we're speaking about this, and, and the more we speak, the better the information gets. So we, we will revisit. But Andrew, having gone through all this, heard all of this from, from Elaine and from Sarah, from that their perspective... Is there anything that you want to tie this together with in that clinical sense, that practice sense, that you think is important before we close?
1: Absolutely, there is. Um, And before I do that, I'd like to say, as we've been recording this, I've just been notified of a new study that's coming out. Um, It's it's, The Scandinavians have done it again. Um, So there's a new study that Susan Young is looking at the Scandinavian population, and they've evidenced that women are approximately diagnosed approximately four years later than men. Um, uh, uh, And that's a cross-population study. So, so you know, the the sample size there was 85,000 people. They've shown that of of those 85,000 people, typically women, uh, so they factor in all of the the different variables, typically women take four years, live four years longer before getting diagnosed than men. Um, So... You know, they, they, there are gender differences. We know that twice as many boys as girls get diagnosed, but is bringing in, you know, hard facts from the, a, a population in Stockholm that, that there, there are gender differences that must be dealt with. But as much as there are, you know, the okay. 83% of people looking at our website are women. So so there they, are gender differences. Of looking for service, but also how services are, are delivered and how people are accessing them—that that we really need to be thinking differently about. But beyond that, that yes, there are some key messages that I, I need to to give people to take away from this, and I'd like to take it take you on a journey through through ha- the lifespan of a woman, really, and, and drop in these key messages. So the, the first thing to keep in mind is puberty. If you've got a a, a young child with mm-hmm. with ADHD, we are as puberties, on. There is an onset of puberty. We are going to see variations in um, the impacts of medication on girls. Um, so it's it's important as as parents of girls to be advocating for that in, in clinics, in CAMs, and and the like. Um, there's the issue of contraception and and how can that be used? You know, used. I think that's a discussion to be had with GPs. Um, thinking about which choice, what product choice you use, um, because you know, if it has an estrogen content, then it's going to have an impact on dopamine levels. Um, so that's an important thing to bear in mind for people who are titrating onto medication important that the person titrating you gives consideration to your cycle because if a dose is increased when the estrogen levels are low when those estrogen levels come back up you could be over treated and that could lead to all sorts of problems so um, ideally clinicians should be asking about before increasing dose and um I think increasingly, you know, but back when I started in ADHD, we were a lot slower in titration. Practice has moved on, and yes, we can t- titrate quickly. We can int- increase dose week on week. But if we're doing that with women, then we need to be saying, if it's if it's not working, increase the dose. Where were you in your cycle? You know, what's it, that's that's really important thing. Um, next issue is about pregnancy and breastfeeding. So you're going to hit all sorts of different opinions on pregnancy and breastfeeding and prescribing ADHD treatments. Um, Prescribing pregnancy is is challenging because it's unethical to do the studies that evidence whether it's safe or not. Um, But there are studies coming that are showing that that, um, women can be treated in pregnancy. Yes, there are risks, but there are risks of not treating in pregnancy as well. So a a blanket we must not prescribe in. I think we're moving beyond that. That we are starting to see evidence of, of um, support for that, and, and there are different you know, factors to consider. But it's, it's an important one, um, and that leads me to perinatal psychiatry. You know, if you are pregnant or you're having, you've had your child, and you're seeing hormone fluctuations. Um, perinatal psychiatrists are the psychiatrists most likely to give consideration to these hormone fluctuations. So don't just go thinking a psychiatrist is the right way to go. You may need someone with expertise in perinatal psychiatry to be advising on that. With breastfeeding, yes, there is transmission of the medications we prescribe in breast milk often. um, But that doesn't necessarily mean they can't be prescribed. There are considerations to be had, so don't be told, "Oh, I can't prescribe anything because you're breastfeeding." I can't prescribe anything for you pregnant because you're pregnant. It's a balance of risks decision, and there's more to it than just "No, we don't do that." Um, and, and my practice right. has evolved to to be more accommodating of that lately because the evidence is, you know, the literature is literally dropping in our inboxes as as we've spoken today. Um, so, so that's really important to bear in mind. As always, the most important thing is be kind to yourself. If you're having a bad day, you're having a bad day. It doesn't it's not about whether it's ADHD or, or estrogen levels or you know the chimney's just fallen off the roof. Bad days are bad days, and we must be kind to ourselves. We've got limited everybody always wants more than we can give. That that's the nature of modern society. We live in fast a, a fast-paced world where there are all these expectations. Um mm-hmm. And man or woman, it's about being kind to yourself and, and being honest about what you can do.
0: Yeah, I'll take that. Thank you, Andrew. That's really important stuff. Right, uh, ladies, I'm going to bring you both in. So I'm going to give you sort of 30 seconds to summarize. All right, maybe a bit more. What's your message to every other, hopefully, lady, girl, woman that listens to this after this conversation today? What would you like to add to that for, from Andrew? What would you like to say? That you think is is the most important stuff. So Elaine, I'll come to you first.
3: Most important thing for me is is that you're not alone and things are changing. We're uncovering all this. You just had from Andrew that literally stuff's just dropped in his mailbox. There, whichever part of your life you're in, you know, just don't take no for an answer. Ask again, and you know, but you know, just keep doing what you're doing and speak to people about it. Don't just sit there and think, oh, it sounds a bit weird. I'm not going to ask this question because it feels a bit awkward. Mm. Yeah, just get over the awkward and go for it.
0: Fabulous. Take that. Sarah?
2: It's about people taking away the message that it is okay to contact their titration nurse, their psychiatrist, to say, I think it is this. I think that this is impacting on us or these meds aren't working. Don't wait the year. Go on and get in touch. Can And coming back to your point, if people want to turn up with loads of information at the assessment, brilliant, because I love that. I don't know about Andrew, but I love it when somebody turns up and there's school reports and there's letters from family members, from husbands. It's brilliant. More evidence you've got for me, that would we'll still have to do the other bits, but I love that. It's brilliant. Helps for conversation. So you can yeah. say, oh, I can see in year 10, you told the teacher to stick it where the sun don't shine. And open that conversation things like that it's brilliant so yeah if you've got stuff even if you think it's not relevant because that's one thing people say to us all the time my school reports are fine bring them better than not Find the words in <laughs> i yep. see
0: you laughing andrew yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> aren't they all the same all right well listen to the three of you thank you so much for giving up your time for for bringing your knowledge and your experiences to the podcast It's been fascinating for me. I hope it's as fascinating for everyone else listening. Um, And I will say the same thing I always do. Wherever you are listening to this, wherever you are watching this, please, please like, subscribe, download. The more you do that, the more you leave comments, the more this podcast grows. And just to remind you, this is free now. It's always going to be free. You will never see an advert. You'll never hear an advert. And the reason for that is, Andrew and I have always said nothing should get in the way of the information. Okay? So, please, please support us because that means an awful lot when you do. Please comment um, and hopefully uh, we will see you again next Thursday for another episode. But until now, this has been... The first, I think, of many episodes of Talk ADHD talking about women and what can we do. So thank you all very, very much. Have the rest of a lovely day. And to everyone else, we'll see
3: you in a week or so. Take care, folks.